Hi, my name is Nikki. My name is Charlie. And you're listening to Bed, Bed Crime, Crime Stories. Stories. a weekly true crime podcast where we pour ourselves a drink and take turns telling each other the stories that keep us up at night. <laughs> I was like trying my newscaster voice. You thought I forgot the words, didn't you? Uh, for a second there I did. No, no. I was like, what's what's happening? I was doing that for effect. So, um, oh my God, we're back again. Again. And uh, Jovi is also, oh my God, not here again, which is fine. She's on I vacation. guess. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But it's okay. Um, she's on vacay, and I guess we will allow her to continue to do so. So, uh, yes. yeah, because we're real nice like that. So, <laughs> And then when she gets back from vacation, she'll have like two episodes to edit. So <laughs> uh, that's what happens when you take a break, bitch. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> no, sorry. Not sorry. We miss you. Yes. Have fun, Jeremy. Um, okay, so you know what? I know that Nikki has a really long bed crime story for us tonight. Oh, yeah. So I don't want to waste any time getting into our true crime headline. So I'm going to go ahead and kick. Um, first, I'm going to take a sip of my wine. Give me just a moment here. Glug, glug. Hold on. You said, excuse me, but. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to jump right on in with my true crime headlines. Yes. Okay. So the first true crime headline I'm going to tell you guys all about was published on November 9th, 2021. And this is from Yahoo News. Yahoo. Yahoo. And I purposely chose this one because I want to say it was about a year ago. It was when we really kind of Mm -hmm. first started the podcast. And I remember we were in your house. Yeah. And I read a story about Leslie Van Houten, one of the Manson family gals, Mm -hmm. um, was denied parole last year. And we had a little bit of a, like, quick conversation about it. Um, well, guess what, guys? It's 2021, and parole has been recommended for Leslie Van Houten, according to this Yahoo News article. Um, so a California parole panel on Tuesday, which was the 9th, um, recommended for the fifth time that Charles Manson follower Leslie Van Houten be freed from prison, decisions previously rejected by two governors. So... The count, the panel has recommended her parole previously, but it's been turned down by the acting governor. So twice blocked by Governor Jerry Brown and then twice by Governor Gavin Newsom, who is the current governor of California, Gavin Newsom. So um, we're, you know, we're just going to have to kind of wait and see what's going on. Um, She was, if I'm not mistaken, yes, she was of she was present for the LaBianca murders, but she was not present for the Tate murders. So and she's been serving a life sentence since uh let's see, when does it say? Does it say? It doesn't say. But she's been serving a life sentence for a very, very long I'll say, time. how's that going to work out when she does get out? Like, I don't know. when you've been in prison for, like, that long? Yeah. And I feel like she went in very young. She did. Well, she's only 72. Yeah. And the murders took place in 1969. So she was, 19, she was 19 when she and other followers fatally stabbed the LaBiancas. So she was maybe 20 when she went to prison. Jesus. So, yeah, when you're, when you're living the bulk of your life... 52 years at least if not more depending on how math works out in that um how do you survive because <laughs> <'cause, laughs> i was like how math works yeah. out in that because <laughs> charlie doesn't do math um but it's very um, uh, it's very curious to me how and i agree with you like how are you going to live on the outside yeah um, after that long it's it's very interesting so the latest recommendation is likely headed back to newsom after a 120 day procedural review 
Um, Van Houten is actually still challenging the rejection of her parole a year ago in two courts. Um, so we'll see. We'll you know Damn. kind of stay tuned on that. So I'm very curious to see how that's all going to work out. Charlie will for... definitely keep us updated. I will definitely keep you guys updated. I haven't done the Manson uh, cult yet. Um, you guys know I'm a cult. Please do it, gal. Um, I want to do Jonestown. I, I seriously, I just I want to do them all. I want to do Jonestown. I want to do Heaven's Gate. I want to do Nexium. I want to do Manson. So. It's a coming. I have to real. All of those are just so dense and there's so much going on mm-hmm. with all of them that it's going to take a while for me to really sit down and do them. But maybe over like the holiday break, one of them will be written. So when we come back after the new year, I can do one of them. So yes, we'll see. I'm, <laughs> I always hate to be like, I love cults, but I do. I love them. I love cults. Um, don't want to be in one, but I'm fascinated oh, no. to learn about them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my next true crime headline is from... Three News Now in Omaha, Nebraska. Omaha. Omaha. And the the headline... Oh, wait. It was published on November 8th, 2021. And the headline reads, A three-judge panel... I have a tickle in my throat. (coughs) Okay. I had a tickle. That was a cute one. (coughs) A three-judge panel sentences Bailey Boswell to life in prison on Monday morning. So this took place in Wilbur, Nebraska. Bailey Boswell was sentenced to life in prison on Monday morning for the 2017 murder of Sidney Loof. This summer, a three-judge panel heard arguments during a sentencing hearing and today determined that Boswell will get life in prison and not the death penalty for her role in Loof's killing. The reasoning that she didn't get death penalty bothers me. Not that she didn't get the death penalty. The reasoning why she didn't really fucking bothered I, I me. did read this article earlier today. Yeah. So um, Boswell displayed relatively little emotion during the hearing with her mother tearing up, blah, blah, blah. Okay, here we go. So in the hearing, Judge Vicki Johnson outlined the case against Boswell. That includes Boswell, along with her boyfriend, Aubrey Trail, enticing Loof on a date in Lincoln, Nebraska through Tinder. Tinder. Later taking her to a Wilbur apartment before killing her and placing her remains in rural Nebraska field. Um, and from what I understand, like the whole reason why is because she wouldn't join their like Tinder sex cult, which, okay. Two of the three judges on the panel, including Johnson, believe that the facts were enough to show that the murder was exceptionally depraved, which mm-hmm. is one of the qualifiers to warrant a death penalty, which. Sure. The murder was coldly calculated. Boswell relished the murder. There was a needless mutilation of the body and the murder was senseless. Mm-hmm. Um, but P- Judge Peter Battalion, Battalion, something kind of battalionish sounding, a Douglas County District Court judge was the lone descending vote, which was all she needed to not receive the death penalty. She says, he says, I could not find a beyond a reasonable doubt that the state of Nebraska met its burden of proof as this aggravating circumstance. So basically he said that it wasn't exceptionally depraved. Are you crazy? Like I said, I have my own thoughts about the death penalty. There are some days where I'm for, there are some days I'm against. And honestly, it really just kind of depends on my mood. My whole <laughs> idea. Um, but all of that aside, I, I don't care about that. Honestly, the fact that she got life in prison, death penalty, that's actually moot to me in this situation. Mm-hmm. But the fact that this judge had the, cojones to say that he did not find that the prosecution did enough to prove that the crime was exceptionally depraved are you crazy they the crime was nothing but depraved they had placed her body in what five different places yes and her heart her heart and other organs haven't even been found like 
Oh, and, and, and they didn't dismember her for the fact of like her not being found. They dismembered her for the pleasure of it. Like it was just for the joy of the kill. And like, I'm sorry, that's exceptionally depraved. Mm -hmm. Bothers me. It bothers me. Like I said, the death penalty, yes or no, was neither here nor there in this situation for me personally. To me, the problem I have with that ruling is that you cannot define that as exceptionally depraved. Because I think that that's bullshit. I think that's exceptionally bullshit. It's bullshit. <laughs> I don't know if you what? could hear what I just did, but I pounded my chest in anger. <laughs> <sighs> All right. So. Yeah. Yeah. My second trick on my headline got me a lot more heated than I thought it was going to I was do. like. Sorry. Got me mad. Whew. Whew. I'm warm. And I'm warm. I'm wearing a long sleeve I was going to say, it's really warm. warm in and here. it's warm in here. Uh, I thought it was just me. No. That's why I had to take my like. My whatever off your jackety thing. Yeah. Well, it's like it's weird because it's cooler cool. out, yeah. outside, and it's so it's it's too cool for the air to kick on. Correct. So it's like balls hot in this house. Uh huh. <gasps> it's the okay. worst. It's the worst. Mm-hmm. All right. It's the carpet. So, it's the carpet, and it's my ring light that I have on for oh, yeah. additional lights. How does Crap. You can turn that can off. Can I shut it off now? Yeah. I needed it to read. Yeah, I was like, you can you can totally shut that off now. Hold on, let me double check. Can I help? They be I'm down road back Man, I guess five inches really does make a difference. <laughs> sure does, baby. <laughs> um, okay, so on that note. <laughs> Oh, man. But I'm ching. So we right. are going to go ahead. We're av- actually not talking about the Wang, but it just fit kind of perfectly it did fit perfect it did fit perfect but um okay so um on all of those weird notes i'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to nikki for tonight's bed crime story it's a long one guys let's buckle in this isn't all of it either (laughs) this isn't all of it yeah um so the abridged version at a full 12 pages yeah this has always been probably one of the conspiracy theories that has always just sat with me. It's honestly just a case that has sat wrong with me for so long. Mm -hmm. And we had some time off. So I decided I was going to on take the death of Kirk Bain. Mm -hmm. So I know how you feel about it. Sure do. How much do you know about it though? Enough to, besides what the media to feel enough to feel that my opinion is valid. Okay. Yes. So, which I'm, my boyfriend and I are very much, we believe that Kurt was unalived by someone else. Mm. Um, now, I mean, the person that, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get okay. there. So, my sources for today are academic dictionaries and encyclopedias. Ooh. Yeah. All things interesting. Okay. <laughs> Cobain case by private investigator Tom Grant. Grunge.com. Liveforlivemusic.com. Rolling Stone. Soaked in Bleach, which is a document documentary. About documentary. Him, I don't right? know why I wanted to say documentary. You no, that's no, the correct that's word. The correct word. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> that's I, why you wanted to say it because it's right. I stayed up very late to finish this last night, um, and then also Wikipedia. But Wikipedia. what I got from Wikipedia was about his youth. So mm-hmm. let's get started. Let's dive in. Let's dive in. Let's, let's get there. You, let's see if you can change my mind. I don't know. Probably not. Because people are very, there's never, I want to say I'm a 50-50. I can see both sides of Mm -hmm. it, Mm -hmm. 
But like what I've realized, especially with going through a lot of these things, are people are very dead set in what they believe. Correct. So. I agree with that. So periodically, the uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation makes public some of its archives on politicians, uh, entertainers, and other bold-faced names. And quietly, the FBI plucked out its file on Kurt Cobain and made it available for the first time in 2021. Which is this year. I do remember year. that happened, yes. Yeah. A mere 10 pages, the file is slim but intriguing. The centerpieces are two letters sent from names that have been um, removed, urging the Bureau to investigate Kurt's 1994 as a murder rather than suicide. Millions of fans around the world would like to see the inconsistencies surrounding his death cleared up once and for all, reads one typed out from September 2003. The other letter, also um, from a blocked-out author, but written in hand, dates from 2007. The police who took up the case were never very serious in investigating it as a murder, but from the beginning insisted on being a suicide. It reads in part, This bothers me the most because his killer is still out there. The writer also cites so-called evidence. There were no prints on the gun he supposedly shot himself with and claims that in Kurt's note, he mentioned nothing about wanting to die except for the part of it that was in another handwriting and appeared to be added at the end. So the FBI's response to the letter sent from different officials at the uh, Bureau and nearly identical in the wording also are also contained in the file. We appreciate your concern that Mr. Cobain may have been the victim of a homicide, each reads. However, most homicide investigations generally fall within the jurisdiction of the state or local authorities. The replies to go on to say that specific facts about a violation of a federal law would have to be presented for the Bureau to uh, pursue. But based on these letters, we are unable to identify any violation of federal law within the investigative jurisdiction of the FBI. With that, the Bureau said it would be passing on pursuing any investigation. Also, part of the file is a, uh, is a similar response to a letter sent to then-Eternal General Janet Reno in 2000, although in the case, the correspondence that triggered the response is not included. Even stranger, the release pages also included portions of a January 1997 fax sent to the Los Angeles and D.C. offices of the FBI, as well as to several NBC executives, from Crossgrove and Mirror Productions, the Los Angeles documentary company that homes to the long-running Unsolved Mysteries series. Mm. Those release pages include a one-paragraph, sorry, one-paragraph summary of theories about the case involving Tom Grant, a Los Angeles-based private investigator and former L.A. County Sheriff's deputy, and his suspicions that the suicide ruling was a rush to judgment. The fact sheet claims that Grant has found a number of inconsistencies, including questions about the alleged suicide note, which Grant believed was a retirement letter to Cobain's fans. CMP co-founder Terry Muir doesn't recall much about the original request, but Unsolved Mysteries did ultimately air in an an episode addressing these theories the same year. We reach out to the FBI for various stories and try to get information on them. We still do that, and we were just talking to the FBI yesterday about a request. We're in constant contact with them, so that was a typical communication. With the release of the file, Kurt joins a curious list of musicians who have been the subject of FBI surveillance or investigations. They include the notorious B.I.G. Baby, baby. Baby, baby. 
The Bureau's files included more than 300 pages on his murder, although the case was closed in 2005. The Monkees for anti-American subliminal messages incorporated into their 60s concerts by way of video footage. Robin Gibb of the Bee Gees, a potentially threatening telegram supposedly signed by the brother Gibb, sent to the law firm representing his then-wife in their divorce proceedings, Hmm. and John Denver for supposed death threats made against him in 1979. I love John Denver more than any 38-year-old should. (laughs) Really? I love John Denver so much. Who is John Denver? (sighs) Um, Just the folk king of the 1960s. Oh, okay. John Denver. Rocky Mountain High. Did you ever hear it? Rocky Mountain High, Colorado. John Denver. Oh, my God. No, now take I'm... Me, now. Take me home, country road. Yes. Take me home, country oh, okay, road. That's, okay, I didn't realize. <gasps> John Denver, I love him. <laughs> I remember when... Just real quick. Just side, yeah, yeah, yeah. sidebar nation. Real, real quick. Sidebar. Strong, uh, yeah. Story. The morning that John Denver died, I will never forget. And I was young. My mom came into my bedroom. She's a huge John Denver oh my fan. God. That's why I love him so much. She came to my room. She was crying. She woke me up. And she's like, John Denver died. I just laid in my bed weeping. We just sat there and cried. I was so How old were upset. you? I was, I had to be in elementary school because I was mm. in, was I in elementary school? Maybe middle school. I was young. I was young. But oh my God, it broke my heart. It broke my heart. Oh, I always like dreamed of getting to see him in concert. Aww. Oh, I love John Denver. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Just, no, 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 you're fine. Love John Denver. <clears throat> so now we're going to just go into the history of mm-hmm, Kurt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So before he became the lead singer of Nirvana, Kurt Donald Cobain was born in Aberdeen, Washington on February 20th, 1967. Kurt's family had a musical background. His uncle Chuck uh, played in a band called the Beachcombers. His aunt Mary Earl. I was like, how cute is that name? Mary that's a cute Earl. name. Yeah, that is a cute name. Played guitar and performed in bands throughout Grays Harbor County. And his great uncle, uh, Delbert, had a career as an English tenor, making an appearance in the 1930 film King of Jazz. Hmm. Kurt was described as a happy and excitable kid who also extra, uh, exhibited sensitivity and care. His talent as an artist was evident from an early age as he would draw his favorite characters from films and cartoons in his bedroom. He was encouraged by his grandmother, Iris Cobain, a professional artist. Kurt developed an an interest in music at a young age. According to his Aunt Mary, he began singing at the age of two. At age four, he began playing the piano and singing, writing a song about a trip to the local park. (laughs) Cute. When Kurt was nine, his parents divorced. He later said the divorce had a profound effect on his life, while his mother noted that his personality changed dramatically. Kurt became more defiant and withdrawn. In a 1993 interview, he said, I remember feeling ashamed for some reason. I was ashamed of my parents. I couldn't face some of my friends at school anymore because I desperately wanted to have the classic, you know, typical family. Mother, father, I wanted that uh, security, so I resented my parents for quite a few years because of that. Mm. Kurt's parents found new partners after the divorce. Kurt's mother began dating a man who was abusive. He witnessed the domestic violence inflicted upon her, with one incident resulting in her being hospitalized with a broken arm. Mm. That's gonna fuck a kid up. Yeah. The one thing I... The reason I feel like the history is so important is, like, it kind of, like, shows who he is. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I think... Yeah. And I think that that's the reason why the history is important for all of these people. Even, yeah. like, the most depraved of serial killers, I think it's important to know the history. Yeah. So, Kurt behaved um, insolently toward adults during the, uh, this period and began bullying another boy at school. Mm. 
His father and stepmother took him to a therapist who concluded that he would benefit from a single family environment. This was the 70s. I feel like I feel like his life is very progressive, if that makes sense. Well, and I was going to say because he was I didn't realize that he was born in the 60s, in the late 60s. So I was going to say I assume that this was in the 70s. It wasn't really until the 80s that like divorces were super commonplace yes so i can imagine him having a lot of shame about it because it's it was so uncommon Mm -hmm. so i get that i get that yeah um both sides of the family attempted to bring his parents back together to no avail on june uh, 28th 1979 kurt's mother granted full custody to his father Mm. kurt's teenage rebellion quickly became overwhelming for his father who placed his son in the care of a family uh of family and friends Mm. while living with the born-again christian family of his friend he became a devout christian and regularly attended church services Hmm. i was like okay that's a shock he later renounced Christ, uh, Christianity, enraging in what was described as anti-God rants. Mm. The song Lithium is about his experience while living with the family. Uh, religious re- um, Religion remained an important part of his personal life and beliefs. Mm. So this made me laugh, um, just because I find him quite interesting. <laughs> Although uninterested in sports, Kurt uh, was enrolled in a junior high uh, school wrestling at the insistence of his father. <laughs> he was a skilled wrestler, but despised the experience. Because of the ridicule he endured from his teammates and coach, he allowed himself to be pinned in an attempt to sadden his father. <laughs> Later, his father enlisted him in Little League uh, baseball team, where Kurt would intentionally strike out to avoid I playing. It. I love it. <laughs> right? I love it. Kurt befriended a gay student at school and was bullied by uh, peers who concluded that he was gay. In an interview, he said that he liked being associated with uh, a gay identity because he did not like people. Mm -hmm. And when they thought he was gay, they left him alone. He said, I started being really proud of the fact that I was gay, even though I wasn't. I love it. Through art and uh, electronics class, Kurt met Roger Buzz Osborne, the singer and guitarist of the Melvins. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of bands came out of that area. Well, and that's, I mean... You figure that was when Nirvana came on the scene. I know they were kind of like the first really big Seattle grunge band, but that was, I mean, Bush came out of Seattle. All Mm -hmm. of those big, anybody who really made it big in that period as like grunge Mm -hmm. seemed to really come from Seattle. Yeah. Or at least in that Washington, Pacific Northwest area. Yeah. Every awe. I don't know why. Every awe. I really, just real quick, getting back to like the rebellion and the sports. Yeah. I love that because, I mean, that's the one thing that Kurt Cobain is like, is just like his rebellious nature. And just even then as a young kid who has like no, and I'm using like no power, right? Yeah. Quote unquote power. Um, and like the most his voice could stretch at that point was to say, well, fuck you. I'm going to strike out and then I won't play. <laughs> well, fuck you. I'm going to get pinned and then they won't put me on the mat. Like, it's yeah. just like the the rebellion of him, like what made him him was present in him from the very, very beginning. And I love yeah. And I also like the idea of like, also, I fucking hate people. So <laughs> like, just leave me the goddamn fuck alone. <laughs> like, I vibe with that I so vibe, much. I like can completely relate on a real uh, deep level to like, you know what? think that I'm a really terrible person because then you'll leave me alone. That's like when people have like 20 bridesmaids and I'm like, oh my God, I don't even like 20 people either. I was in a (laughs) wedding. It has to be like eight years ago now. I was in a wedding and I was like one of eight bridesmaids. Oh, fuck that. And I'm like, 
who likes this many people? And like, honestly, no, like, and I'm still friends with the bride and groom. She's not friends with all of the bridesmaids anymore. It's like just eight years later, you're still not friends with all eight of us. Like that's real telling of how you keep your circle small. Yeah. Keep your circle small. I'm like, I get hitched. It's going to be like maybe three people. And I'm like, you know, yeah, you guys have stuck around long enough. I guess you, I guess you fit. Like, I'm like, it's gonna be like God. me and like the groom, and then yeah. like our dogs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like for real. I think I probably end up will have more dogs mm-hmm. at my wedding than mm-hmm. people, and mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. Same. Okay. Um. So. Uh. Da, 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 da. Through art and electronics class, uh, Kurt met Roger Buzz Osborne, singer and guitarist of the Melvins, who became his friend and introduced him to punk rock and hardcore music. Kurt claimed that the first live show he attended was the Melvins, which played a free concert outside the Thriftway supermarket where Osborne worked. Kurt wrote in his journals of this experience, as well as in interviews, singling out the impact it had on him. As a teenager living in Washington, Kurt eventually found um, escape through the thriving Pacific Northwest punk scene, going to punk rock shows in Seattle. During his second year in high school, Kurt began living with his mother in uh, Aberdeen. Two weeks prior to his graduation, he dropped out of Aberdeen High School upon realizing that he did not have enough credits to graduate. His mother gave him the choice, find employment or leave. After one week, Kurt found his clothes and other belongings packed away in boxes. Feeling banished, Kurt stayed with friends, occasionally sneaking back into his mother's basement. Hmm. Kurt also claimed that during periods of homelessness, he lived under a bridge near the Wishka River. Sure. Yeah. An experience that inspired the song Something in the Way. His future bandmate, Chris, later said he hung out down there. You couldn't live on those muddy banks with the tides coming up and down. That was his own revision revisionism Mm. so kurt began dating toby vale an influential punk zeinster which i was like i don't know what the hell that word means of the riot girl band uh bikini kill who embraced the diy ethos what i'm sorry i like bikini kill oh yeah 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 he dated uh toby vale nice yeah after meeting vale kurt vomited overwhelmed with anxiety caused by his infatuation with her this event, uh, this event inspired the lyric, Love You So Much It Makes Me Sick, in the song Aneurysm. Kurt regarded Vale as his female cr- uh, counterpart. Kurt and Toby spent most of their time together discussing political and philosophical... Uh, physio- physio- philosophical. Philosophical. Mm-hmm. I can't say big words. Don't <laughs> fucking judge me. <laughs> Issues. In the 1990s. Uh, they collaborated on a musical called Bathtub is Real. Okay. In which they both sang, played guitar, and drums. Kurt's relationship with Vale inspired the lyrics of many of the songs on Nevermind. While he was discussing um, punk rock with friend Kathleen Hanna, another member of Bikini Kill, Hannah spray-painted Kurt Smells Like Teen Spirit on Kurt's apartment wall. Teen Spirit was the name of the deodorant Vale wore. Kurt, unaware of the uh, deodorant, Interpret, interpreted the slogan as having a revolutionary meaning. It inspired the uh, title of the Nirvana song, Smells Like Teen Spirit. That's funny. Not crazy? Mm-hmm. Like, I saw that, I was like, hmm. So, Kurt's first band, Fecal Matter, was formed in 1985, after he dropped out of high school. Bad, bad band name. Yeah, they had all kinds of names, man. All right, good. <laughs> Fecal Matter. But by the late 1980s, he had linked up with Chris... Um, forming the beginnings of what would become Nirvana. 
Nirvana's uh, debut album, Bleach, was released by Sub Pop Records in 1989. That was the year I was born. I keep forgetting that ble- that Bleach existed. I like only ever remember. Remember, never mind. Yeah. Um, and featured Chad Channing on drums, but things took a drastic change for the band when Dave Grohl replaced. I love Dave Grohl. I love Dave Grohl so much. I have his, I love him so. He just released a new book, y'all. I was just going to say, I have his his new book book on my Amazon wishlist for Christmas. So if any of my family members are listening to this and it's not Christmas yet and you haven't got me anything, the Dave Grohl book is on my list. And now you have five of them. (laughs) I know, exactly. (laughs) Everybody. An entire library of Dave Grohl. Everybody get together. And talk about what you're yeah, getting. Exactly. If you're have, getting it. I have the Dave Grohl book and also the Will Smith biography on my wish list as well. So there you, go, you guys, guys can decide which one you're yeah. gonna get me. I you, love Dave Grohl. He's so have I you, love I just I love. Love, 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 love. Do, 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 do. Sorry, we mentioned Dave Back. Grohl and we have derailed oh, because Dave Grohl is Dave the Grohl best is so human. Sexy. He's like one of the best human beings. Oh yeah. God, I love all right, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Such a good person. I could seriously talk about did Dave you, Grohl. Did you see when he fell off the stage and broke yes, his leg? Yes, broke his leg. And he, I love him. I love him. Oh, the band soon recorded Nevermind, their 1991 album released by Griffin Records. The massive success of the single Smells Like Teen Spirit thrusted Nirvana into the mainstream and immediately popularized the grunge sub genre of alternative rock among the masses mm-hmm. but as nirvana ricocheted to the top of the charts and into pop culture stratosphere mm-hmm. kurt was becoming increasingly disenchanted with the prospect of rock stardom mm-hmm. kurt felt that it went against the underground roots to become a mainstream star and he hated the thought of being the voice of a generation since he often felt that the media misinterpreted his message he began to harbor resentment against people who claimed to be fans of the band, yet refused to acknowledge or misinterpreted the band's social or political views. Yeah, like yeah. people who love Rage Against the Machine but don't understand what the machine is. Uh-huh. Yeah. A vocal opponent of sexism, racism, and homophobia, he was publicly proud that Nirvana had played at a gay rights benefit, supporting No One Nine in Oregon in 1992. The show was held in opposition to the ballot measure nine. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Do you know what this is? Mm-mm. A ballot measure that if passed would have directed schools to teach that homosexuality was abnormal, wrong, unnatural, and per- uh, perverse. That makes my stomach turn. Yeah. Kurt was a vocal supporter of the pro-choice movement, and Nirvana was also involved in L7 Rock for Choice campaign. He received death threats from a small number of anti-abortion activists for participating in the pro-choice campaign, with one activist threatening to shoot Kurt as soon as he stepped on stage. Oh, that's cute. I put note. Oh, the irony. I was going to say, yeah, I'm I'm pro-life, so I'm going to kill you. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. So in October 1992, when asked, well, are you gay? Kurt replied, if I wasn't attracted to Courtney, I'd be bisexual. In another interview, he described identifying uh, identifying with the gay community in The Advocate, stating, I'm definitely gay in spirit, and I probably could be bisexual. And if I hadn't have found Courtney, I probably would have carried on with a bisexual lifestyle, but also that he was more sexually attracted to women. He reported having felt different from the age of seven. He described himself as feminine in childhood and often wore dresses and other stereotypical feminine clothing. 
Some of his song lyrics, as well as phrases he would use um, to vandalize vehicles in a bank, included God is gay, Jesus is gay, homosexual sex rules, and everyone is gay. Mm-hmm. One of his personal journal uh, journals state, I'm not gay, although I wish I was, just to piss off homophobes. I mean, preach. <laughs> so this is him. I'm like, I didn't know a lot of the stuff about him. And I was like, mm-hmm. I felt like he would have had a smart little mouth on him. Yeah. There are differing accounts of the date that uh, Kurt first met Courtney, although the actual events remain similar. Love made advances, but Kurt was invasive. Earlier in the interactions, Kurt broke off dates and ignored Love's advances because he was unsure if he wanted a relationship. Kurt noted, I was determined to be a bachelor for a few months, but I knew that I liked Courtney so much right away that it was really hard struggle to stay away from her for so many months. Love first saw uh, Kurt perform at a 1989 show in Portland, Oregon. They talked briefly after the show and Love became attracted to him. In the weeks that followed after learning from Grohl, that Kurt shared mutual interest with her, Love began pursuing Kurt. In late 1991, the two were often together and bonded through drug abuse. On February 24th, 1992, a few days after the conclusion of Nirvana's Pacific Rim tour, Kurt and Love were married on Waikiki Beach Mm. in Hawaii. Love wore a satin lace dress once owned by Francis Farmer. You know what Kurt wore? He wore a gown, didn't he? No. No, I thought he did. And Kurt donned a Guatemalan purse and wore green pajamas because he was too lazy to put on a tux. I like it. Eight people. He wore a dress to one of the MTV awards. He did, yeah. MTV Music Awards. Mm Mm-hmm. I do remember that. It said eight people were in attendance at the ceremony, including Roll. So, see, that's our kind of wedding. Yeah. Eight people. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Eight people. That's all you need. Keep it tiny. Keep it tiny. Yeah. Love was already pregnant, and the couple's uh, daughter, Frances Bean Cobain, was born August 18th, 1992. Aw. So mm-hmm. day after my birthday. Aw. 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 And nine years after my birthday. That's, That's close. Fun. That's fun. Okay, go ahead. A sonogram of the couple's as-yet-unborn baby was included in the artwork of Nirvana's single, Lithium. Mm-hmm. Which I was like, that's cute. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to be getting into some. Getting into the kibbles and bits, huh? The kibble and the bits. In a 1992 article in Vanity Fair, Love admitted to using heroin, not knowing that she was pregnant. Mm. However, Love claimed that Vanity Fair had misquoted her, but the event created a media controversy uh, for the couple. While Cobain and Love's romance had always been a media attraction... Um, they found themselves hounded by tabloid reporters after the article was published, many wanting to know if Francis was addicted to drugs at birth. Mm. The Los Angeles County Department of Children's Services took the Cobains to court, stating that the couple's drug use uh, made them unfit parents. So throughout uh, most of his life, Kurt suffered from uh, chronic bronchitis and intense physical pain due to an undiagnosed chronic stomach condition. His first drug experience, which I don't feel like this is a drug, was with weed mm. in 1980 at the age of 13. He regularly used the drug during adulthood, which, I mean, now in California and most places, it's extremely, like, yeah. legal. It's like a snack. Yeah. It's like... Like an afternoon snack. Like an afternoon snack. Mm-hmm. Kurt also had a uh, period of consuming... Notable amounts of LSD and was really into getting fucked up on drugs, acid, and any kind of drugs, observed Chris. Um, I believe Chris was there. 
I want to say their guitarist. Because I think Kurt played bass. Uh, he was bass. Chris was Okay. Bass. So then Kurt was guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was their bassist. Kurt was also uh, prone to alcoholism and uh, solvent abuse. Which I was like, what is solvent? It's a deliberate inhalation of volatile chemicals. Ooh. So huffing. Oh, huffing. Okay. Fumes and gases inhaled are found in everyday products such as cigarette lighter refills and aerosols. I will say I love the smell of gas. So he was huffing. Like fresh pumped gas. Oh, yeah, me too. And it was like, I always feel weird because I'm like, oh, my God, this I know. So good. It's like in Tommy Boy when he pumps the gas and he pulls his hand away and he stiffs it and laughs. It's <laughs> so good. Um, really getting fucked up on drugs, acid, any kind of drug, observed Chris. Um, Kurt was also prone to alcoholism and uh, solvent abuse, which is huffing. Okay. Huffing. We, we know that now. It's huffing. Huff, huff, huff. Um, Kurt's first experience with heroin occurred sometime in 1986, administered to him by a local drug dealer in Tacoma, Washington, who had previously supplied him with oxycodone and aspirin. He used heroin sporadically for several years, but by the end of 1990, his use had developed into a full-fledged addiction. Kurt claimed that he was determined to get um, a habit as a way to self-medicate his stomach condition. It started with three days in a row of doing heroin, and I didn't have stomach pain. That was a relief he related. Hmm. So following um, a tour stop at Terminal Inez in Munich, Germany. So hopefully I said that correct. Uh-huh. You know. On March 1st, 1994, Kurt was diagnosed with bronchitis and severe laryngitis. He flew to Rome the next day for medical treatment and was joined there by his wife on March 3rd, 1994. The next morning, Love awoke to find that Kurt had overdosed on a combination of champagne and retinol. Or rohypnol. Rohypnol. Which is date rape, right? Yeah. Um, It can be used as date rape, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kurt was immediately rushed to the hospital and was unconscious for the uh, rest of the day. After five days in the hospital, Kurt was released and returned to Seattle. The incident was initially portrayed as an accident by his management team, but was later revealed as an attempted quote-unquote suicide, which Kurt himself denied. A note was found, Courtney Love's manager, Janet uh, Binging, said at the time, but Kurt insisted that it wasn't a suicide note. He just took all of his and Courtney's money and he was going to run away and disappear. Love stated that he had gobbled 50 tablets from her prescription. Uh, Dr. Avslaval, this is a German name, so please forgive me, people. <laughs> Dr. Avslaval Galatia treated Kurt. We usually can tell a suicide attempt. This did not look like one to me. This discrepancy in the accounts led Tom Grant and others to question if Love was using this amending story to build a false trail of a history of suicide to cover wrongdoing in the singer's death. On March 18, 1994, Love phoned the Seattle police, informing them that Kurt was suicidal and had locked himself in a room with a gun. Police arrived and confisc- uh, confiscated several guns and a bottle of pills from Kurt, who insisted that he was not suicidal and had locked himself in the room to hide away from love. Hmm. Which, sometimes you just gotta be alone. Sometimes you just gotta get away. Yeah, sometimes Anna? you just gotta get away. So, love arranged an intervention regarding Kurt's drug use on March 25th, 1994. The ten people involved, um, involved including musician friends, Record company executives and one of Kurt's, uh, Kurt's, Kurt, and one of Kurt's closest friends, Daryl Carl, uh, Carlson. 
Kurt reacted with anger, insulting and heaping scorn on the participants and eventually locking himself in an upstairs bedroom. However, by the end of the day, Kurt agreed to undergo a detox program. Kurt arrived at the Exodus uh, Recovery Center in Los Angeles on March 30th, 1994. Is that a popular one? Uh, Well, I'm assuming it's Exodus. Let me see the word. E-X-O-D-U-S. Yeah, Exodus. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. The staff was unaware of Kurt's history of depression and quote-unquote suicide attempts, which I feel like if you were being sent there... Someone that would, would be something would, that would, they wouldn't be notified of. Yes. Yeah. So I just found that very odd. Mm-hmm. When visited by friends, there was no indication to them that Kurt was in any negative state of mind. He spent the day talking to counselors about his drug use and personal problems, happily playing with his daughter, Frances. These interactions were the last time Kurt saw his daughter. Mm. So just a few days before his death on April 5th, 1994, Kurt told the staff he was stepping outside for a smoke. He scaled the six-foot brick wall and flew back home to Seattle. So in response, Courtney Love hired Tom Grant to go looking for him. It was initially reported that Kurt's mother, Wendy O'Connor, had filed a missing persons report stating that the Nirvana frontman had a shotgun and maybe suicidal. But according to Grant, it was actually Love who had uh, filed the missing persons report in Wendy's name. It's unclear why Love would have wanted to pose as O'Connor, but Grant used this information as part of his overall summary of events, hinting that Love was being elusive about her husband early on in the investigation. After his first meeting with Love, Tom decided to tape all conversations, and some of them are actually available on his website, CobainCase.com. They're actually very interesting to listen to. Um, Within the first meetings with Love, Grant noticed that she spoke a great deal about Kurt being suicidal and how worried she was that he was going to try to kill himself. These statements become contradictory when other people close to Kurt, such as Dylan Carson, Leland Cobain, have gone on record saying that Kurt never displayed signs of suicidal behavior, especially after his daughter was born. Included in her tangents about Kurt being suicidal, she also brought up the divorce uh, just as frequently. She stated on tape, and they, they had this on the documentary too, if me and Kurt got a divorce, it would come down and it came down to a custody battle. I'd win in a second. He wouldn't even put up a fight. This statement itself contradicts the movements or contradicts the statements of many of Kurt's close friends and families that expressed his love for his daughter more than anything else in the world. Hmm. Because Kurt, he wanted that family life. Right. Right. Because it's not it isn't what he had when he was a child. Yeah, it was very important like to him. So on April 8th, 1994, Kurt Cobain was discovered lifeless in the greenhouse of his Seattle home. It was uh, an electrician who was supposed to install a security system who found Kurt's body. Authorities were immediately called to the scene where the musician was found with fresh injection marks on his arms and a gunshot wound to the head. A shotgun was beside his body and a suicide note was also found. After Cobain's body was discovered, Grant felt bewildered. While um, when he heard the suicide ruling, despite the official story um, given by authorities, Grant clearly had some doubts. But it wasn't until December 1994 that he started publicly raising questions about Kurt's death and talking about the suspicious things he observed during his uh, investigation. There are several reasons why Tom Grant thinks Kurt Cobain was murdered. But at the core of his reasoning lies the belief that Cobain couldn't have injected himself with such a large amount of heroin three times the legal dose, Mm -hmm. and then be able to shoot himself. Grant believes that even a heroin addict would have been incapacitated and unable to pick up a gun, 
Experts still debate whether or not Kurt could have fired a gun under these circumstances. Mm. That was always the thing to me that, like, always was just, like, odd. Because mm-hmm. I was like, if you're so, like, incapacitated, how would you even be able to do... Right. Like, that just never right. added to me. Another reason why Grant believes that Kurt was murdered is because of the inconsistencies in his suicide note. Grant believes that the top half of Cobain's letter was meant to announce that he intended to leave the music business behind. But since the bottom half of the note was different uh, content and mentions Love and Kurt's daughter, Frances, he thinks it could have been written by someone else. So who's Tom Grant? Who is Tom Grant? Who is Tom? You may ask. Who is Tom Grant? So Tom Grant is a private investigator known for his involvement in high-profile cases involving uh, celebrity clients. Grant owns and operates his own detective agency, The Grant Company. Mm. Grant joined the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department in, uh, in 1969 and within a few years was promoted to detective. In 1975, Grant left the Sheriff's Department and went into business as a security consultant. He later obtained his private investigator's license and opened an office in Beverly Hills, California, where he specialized in criminal investigations. Grant's client list includes some of uh, Hollywood's biggest names. So the one thing that they talked about, Grant, is like with PIs, there's usually like they have sometimes have shady backgrounds. Yeah. Like people are talking about Grant's like is completely clear. Right. 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 So like they they view him as being very like reputable. Mm hmm. So an interesting fact. Fact me. Fact you. After filing her sexual uh, sexual harassment lawsuit against Bill Clinton, Tom Grant was hired by Paula Jones. In November of 1997, Grant traveled to Little Rock, Arkansas, where he spent nearly two months attending depositions and assisting Jones and her legal team with the pretrial investigation of the president. Interesting. Right? That is very interesting. I, I was like, when I read that, I was like, that's an interesting tidbit. That is an interesting tidbit. Tidbit in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> tidbit. So... Now we're going to get into some of the theories. Mm-hmm. So in 2014, the Seattle Police Department, well, I guess this really isn't a theory because this is like the Seattle Police Department. This is what happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In 2014, the Seattle Police Department just uh, decided to review the Kurt Cobain case around the 20th anniversary of his death. After looking through all the evidence, Detective uh, Mike, and I'm not saying his last name because I can't pronounce it because it looks like it's Polish, publicly disputed the theory that Kurt Cobain was murdered. And in 2019, he offered more details claiming that the evidence still shows that Kurt Cobain died by suicide. Did I find earth-shattering evidence that would change the medical examiner's conclusion uh, that Kurt committed suicide? No, in fact, I found evidence that strengthened, uh, strengthened that finding, he explained. I located the receipt of the purchased shotgun shells from a Seattle gun store that matched the time and location where a Seattle cab driver said he dropped off a mail matching Cobain's description Mm. after picking him up from the Cobain residence. Also, when I had questions about the positioning of the shotgun found in Cobain's hand and the location of the spent shell casting, I interviewed an experienced weapons armory uh, armor who explained the dynamics of what likely occurred. Mm. So this is, also, so he did it. He did a um, in 2014 when they did the 20th anniversary. He did a televised interview. Okay. So these were some of the things that Tom Grant pointed out as like you're kind of saying. Okay. You're kind of saying that he he was dead before. Gotcha. The shotgun okay. happened. Okay. I believe he gave himself a fatal dose of black tar heroin. Okay. So he said that. 
He said, I don't think they'd seen anybody with an overdose, in our county at least, that had that much heroin in him. Hmm. And then he also said he killed himself because of the shotgun blast, but the heroin would have did the trick also. Okay. So um, Mike also spoke to one of the original case detectives who said that Love had been very cooperative during the investigation and and that a lot of work had been done on the case. There's no denying that Kurt Cobain's death left a gaping hole in the music world. There's also no denying that some details about his death, like his suicide note, remain controversial in some circles. But despite Tom Grant's claims and the support for, um, from some fans, the theory about Kurt Cobain, um, that Kurt Cobain was murdered remains that a theory. So now we're going to go over the things. Okay. The things that just don't align. So these are, these are the inconsistencies yes. that have been found Yes. Okay. Like that Tom uh, Tom Grant has done a majority of the research on this. Okay. Because he was the one that Love had hired originally to f- locate gotcha. him. Like right. he had even left like Los Angeles to go to Seattle to look to for To try her. and find him. Okay. Yeah. So it was like, and he, he also was like talking about in the documentary, he was like, he goes, I think she honestly, he's like, she regrets hiring me mm-hmm. because he's so like adamant i mean this happened in 1994 and it's like now 2021 and he's still you know yeah going after it so the gun so this is the one thing that everybody talks about is the gun Mm -hmm. um kurt and his best friend daryl carlson purchased a six pound remington 20 gauge shotgun kurt told uh dylan he was afraid of intruders at the house which, remember, he had an electrician right. coming to set up a security system. Right. Um, walking out on the Lollapalooza tour was a business decision that would have cost others a great deal of money also. Mm. Because he was going through this phase with Nirvana. Like, he right. wasn't sure he wanted to do it anymore. Um, there was a uh, reason to believe Kurt may have been intimidated into believing his life would be in danger if he failed to uh, do the tour. Mm. The gun was registered in Dylan's name. Dylan said he would never let Kurt get the gun if he believed he was suicidal. The shotgun was a 20 gauge set up for light load. This setup is what gun dealers often recommend for home protection because the shot won't penetrate walls and endanger those on the other side. Right. Kurt took the shotgun to his home so it would be there when he got back from rehab. He then left for Seattle to go to the rehab center. There is a term that is sometimes brought up in cases called uh, cadaveric spasm. This term refers to an uncommon form of rigor mortis that sets in instantaneously following death. This function of the human body basically preserves the exact position that the body was upon decease. Mm-hmm. Although uncommon, this is exactly what had happened to Cobain's body with the shotgun positioned in his hand exactly the way it would have been in the moment it was shot. Having said this, the shotgun was gripped by Cobain's left hand upside down barrel towards his head in the butt uh, below his feet. Grant explains where the bullet was found upon arrival at the scene as being on Cobain's left side. He goes on to state the exit chamber is clearly on Cobain's right side. If it was fired upside down as it was found, the spasm, um, as it was found, the cadaveric spasm confirms. This means that the bullet should have exited the chamber and landed somewhere on Cobain's right side. Mm. So the fact that the bullet shell was on the right. left side was suspicious. Yeah. So the Seattle Police Department claims that the gun was originally shot upwards, 
putting the exit chamber on the left and had flipped upside down when shot. Okay. This is impossible because the cadaveric uh, spasm confirms that the gun was positioned upside down. Mm-hmm. To further pollu- uh, prove this um, circumstance, Grant explains, in order for the scenario the police, uh, Seattle police stated occurred, Cobain's wrist would have had to have bend at an angle that was uh, anatomically impossible. The evidence that Grant has explained um, regarding the physical surroundings of the scene were majorly overlooked by the Seattle police, causing major controversy and uproar among fans in the media. Question. Yes. I'm just pondering. No, that's fine. So. Because honestly, when I started doing this research again, I was like, maybe it was. So here's my, here's my challenge to that, though. Yeah. While I understand the theory mm-hmm. that it had to have been done by somebody else and then placed in his hand because of the location of the shell casing. If what they are saying is true, that he experienced a cadaveric spasm at the time of his death. Yeah. Then wouldn't that go on to prove that the position of the gun as it were, as it was found is exactly how it was when it was shot? Possibly. So whether or not it was shot by somebody else or by Kurt Cobain himself, it that would have, would have been the position of the gun regardless? I think. I don't know. Right. So yeah. could there have been a possibility that maybe the shell casing just ricocheted and... Possibly. But we'll, we'll also side. get okay. to the okay. other... We'll also get to the other part that, like, I don't understand... We'll get to it. Okay. We'll get. We'll, let us continue. We'll we'll come back. We'll we'll come back. Let us tomato. So the drugs. Okay. The drugs. The drugs. So Kurt's heroin um, blood level was one point five, or sorry, one point five two milligrams per liter. This would require a minimum injection of two hundred and twenty five milligrams of heroin. I do not do heroin, but I assume that that's a lot. I was going to say, my assumption is that that's a lot of heroin. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, honestly, I think any heroin's a lot of heroin. Because oh, right? I do zero heroin. <laughs> D- so. Don't do any. Yes. No, I mean, like, no judgment to whatever. Yeah. So three times the lethal dose, even for a hardcore heroin addict. Okay. Um, it, he also had the drug uh, diaz, diazepam. Diazepam. Yeah. Which is AKA Valium. Yep. It was also found in Kurt's bloodstream. Mm -hmm. It is common knowledge, which I, this is not common knowledge to me. (laughs) You're like two other common people, apparently. But it says, to common knowledge among heroin addicts and forensic pathologists. Mm. So between those people, it's common knowledge. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Between those two sets of people only. For us people who don't do heroin. Or are not medical examiners. But it says that heroin injected directly into the veins of a living person's arm will arrive and pass through their brain within a few seconds. Right. So therefore a massive lethal dose of heroin could have incapacitated Kurt within a few short seconds. Right. He would not have had enough time to put the caps back on the needles, Mm. lean onto his right side, put everything back in the cigar box, which was sitting on the floor slightly out of reach where his body was, then sit back up, manipulate the gun and then shoot himself with it. Right. Too much time would have passed. Yeah. Got it. Soon after his immediate, uh, incapac, uh, Incapacitation. 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 That's a little kind of Red Hot Chili Peppers-ish. Ooh. Like Californication. Yeah. That's what I did there. That's what I did there. <laughs> That's what you did there. 
He would have gone unconscious with a rapidly diminished uh, respiratory function, Mm -hmm. followed by a complete inability to breathe. Then his heart would have stopped. He would have died. Not from the shotgun blast, but from the heroin injection. There would have been no time for the shotgun to even come in play. So, playing devil's advocate here. Yeah. If he were to have been... if, If it is true that he was killed by another... All they actually had to do was inject him with the heroin. The shotgun was like overkill. Like they wouldn't. But you have also had have to. to remember that he like already survived a suicide attempt when he was in Rome. Right. No, I understand yeah. that. But it was with drugs that he survived. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I mean, logic would dictate that if he tried to kill himself the first time with drugs, then that's yeah. exactly how he would try to kill himself the second time. Yeah. And he would probably succeed the succeed, second time. Yeah. Because he would learn from his mistakes. So whomever was the person who killed him, like I said, if this is the truth that yeah. somebody else had killed him, all they really would have had to have done was do the injection of the drugs and just let the drugs do the dirty work. And the shotgun was actually just overkill. Mm-hmm. Okay. Continue. Okay. That's, I mean, that's the, that's doing a mental review here. That's the theory. Okay. Just doing a mental review. So in Soaked in Bleach, um, I highly recommend it is very biased. So that's why you have to definitely, because someone was like, oh, you watched a very biased document. Who is, um, I'm, I'm jovying for a second. You're jovying. Soaked. I mean, it's on, it's on, um, it's on Amazon Prime right now. It does have commercials. But it's fine. Well, and that's this is what I was trying to do. I wanted to see who was whose perspective was it from, and it was from Tom Grant's perspective. It's from yeah, it's from Tom Grant's gotcha. perspective. So yes, definitely. Oh, it's on Peacock as well. Ooh, Peacock. Ooh, ooh, Peacock. And I mean, TV. there's there's been a bunch of different documentaries that have come out. Yeah, Love has been involved in one. His daughter was recently. She had done one. Last Days by Gus Van Zant. I know was a big one back in the day. Hmm. Um, I had a uh, a friend when I first moved down to, and that's not a documentary. That's a film. Yeah, it's a film. It's almost like The um, Doors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember yeah, when yeah. they did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a friend who was like obsessed, mm-hmm. obsessed with Kurt Cobain. And he was, that was like his fave movie. I have not watched it. Neither have I. I'd be, I, I mean, I did try to find as much as I could, but the only thing that I could find without having to purchase was Soaked in Bleach. Right. I definitely did try to look at it from both perspectives. I mean, what's his face look just like him, though? Oh, my God. He's yeah. so beautiful. Well, that's not him. I know, but he's yeah. so beautiful. Okay. That's what's his name? Uh, Pitt. Michael Pitt. Oh, Michael Pitt. Michael Pitt. So, in Soaked in Bleach, um, Dr. Cyril explains that to reach 1.52 milligram per liter, you're talking about an amount that would certainly have exceeded 200 milligrams that were injected into him. This, um, again, is three times the lethal amount. Right. So according to Grant, we're talking about evidence indicating that it would have been impossible to pick up the shotgun. Right. This incredibly solid, uh, solid evidence has raised very many important questions in the case as Cobain would have gone unconscious before he was able to remove the needle from his arm, let alone position a shotgun and pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. So as an attempt to discount this evidence, another doctor had compared the use of oral uh, methadone mm-hmm. uh, to in, in tr- basically basically um, intravenous. Thank you. How do you know that word? Because I intravenous yeah. heroin. Yeah. 
Well, that's. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, injection in the Correct. arm. Okay. Is intravena- vein is vein. Intravenous. Oh, and See, this is why Charlie is so much smarter than Nikki. Because I know things like intravenous. Yes. Which scientifically cannot be compared as they are two different drugs and were administered in right. two different ways. Correct. So they would go into the bloodstream at completely different times and it because they were like effects. Look at this dude, he's standing on one leg and right, he's right, functioning. Right, right, right. And it's like Yeah, but Well, yeah, I mean it also dissolves completely different well yeah it's going to get to the bloodstream in a different amount of time and at a a different strength and it's a completely different drug so yeah yeah um so now we're on the note have you ever read the note have you ever heard the note i have not you've never heard the note okay so i'm gonna read the note i'm gonna read the note in its full entirety read it to me and i want to know your opinion of what you feel this note is all right tell me a story tell me a story the note to Buddha. Okay. Speaking from the tongue of an experienced simpleton who obviously would rather be in, uh, emasculated, infantile, complaining, this note should be pretty easy to understand. All the warnings from the Punk Rock 101 courses over the year since my first introduction to the, shall we say, ethics involved with independence in the embracement of your community has proven to be very true. I haven't felt the excitement of listening to as well as creating music along with reading and writing for too many years now. I feel guilty beyond words about these things. For example, when we're backstage and the lights go out and the manic roar of the uh, crowd begins, it doesn't affect me the way it did for Freddie Mercury, who seemed to love, relish, and love, and sorry, relish in the love and adoration from the crowd, which is something I totally admire and envy. Mm -hmm. The fact is, I can't fool you any of you. It simply isn't fair to you or me. The worst crime I can think of would be to rip people off by faking it and pretending as if I'm having 100% fun. Sometimes I feel as if I should have a punch-in time clock before I walk out on stage. I've tried everything within my power to appreciate it, and God, and I do, God, believe me, I do, but it's not enough. I appreciate the fact that I and we have affected and entertained a lot of people. Mm. It must be one of those narcissistic who, um, it must be one of those narcissistics who only appreciate things when they're gone. I'm too sensitive. I need to be slightly numb in order to regain, um, the euthanisms I once had as a child. On our last three tours, I've had a much better appreciation for all the people I've known personally and as fans of our music, but I still cannot get over the frustration, the guilt, and empathy I have for everyone. There's good in all of us, and I think I simply love people too much. So much that it makes me feel too fucking sad. The sad, little, sensitive, unappreciative Pisces Jesus man. Why don't you just enjoy it? I don't know. I have a goddess of a wife who sweats ambition and empathy and a daughter who reminds me too much of what I used to be, full of love and joy, kissing every person she meets because everyone is good and will do her no harm. And that terrifies me to the point to where I can barely function. I cannot stand the thought of Francis becoming a miserable, self-destructive death rocker that I've become. I have a good, very good Sorry, he said, I have a good, very good, and I'm grateful, but since the age of seven, I become hateful towards all humans in general. 
Only because it seems so easy for people to get along that have empathy. Only because I love and feel sorry for people too much, I guess. Thank you all from the pit of my burning, nauseous stomach for your letters and concerns during the past years. I'm too much of an erratic, moody baby. I don't have the passion anymore, and so remember, it's better to burn out than fade away. Peace, love, empathy, Kurt Cobain. How do you take that? So, just real quick question before I give you my assessment. Yes. There's a part of that that's assumed to not have been written by him, correct? I haven't read that part yet. Oh. Yes. Oh, okay. So, then this- I, so then I think that's a suicide note. You read that as a suicide yes, note? Yes, I do. Especially that last line. It's better to burn out than fade away. Okay. I don't read 100%. it as that. So the part that has been believed to have been re- uh, wrote by someone else. Okay. Francis and Courtney, I'll be at your altar. Please keep going, Courtney, for Francis. For her life, which will be much happier without me. I love you. I love you. Okay. So, like, to me, as someone who just read all of that, mm-hmm. I don't feel like these two... I see what you're saying. ...go together. I understand the... I understand. I don't agree. No, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. I understand. I do. Yeah. I see where people are coming from that feel that they are coming from two different places. Um, and, well, and I can also sit here and say there's a very good possibility that somebody did add it to the bottom to make it more clear, right? In a moment of panic of, like, no, they're never going to understand. Yeah. Um, but I, I do. I read. That's why I asked, because the last part I felt was exactly that. Especially, like I said, especially the line that says it's better to burn out than fade away. Yeah. Is very self-removal to me. Yeah. Yeah. So Kurt had addressed the note to his childhood imaginary friend, Buddha. The note was written in red ink. The pen was presumably used, um, used, was stabbed through the center of the note in a flower box inside the greenhouse. Several sentences were crossed out and uh, handwriting seemed to become hastier and erratic in the second half. According to Charles R. Cross, um, who wrote the biography on Kurt, Heavier Than Heaven, Buddha became one of the figures of refuge for young Kurt. Mm -hmm. With his parents' divorce and the dissolution of uh, the family he knew, Kurt must have sought uh, peace in Buddha. Some say Kurt's suicide note was an unfinished draft meant for his band, a breakup note of sorts that would signal the end of Nirvana and a new direction for his music career. No, that was a broader audience that that was written to. That Mm -hmm. wasn't directed just towards his bandmates. Yeah. I mean, and of course, this is literally just my opinion. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. <laughs> I'm like sitting here as like a psychoanalyst. Like, no, no, actually, that's not oh, what he meant. People, like, I don't fucking know. People literally get heated about this. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure they and do. And I'm sorry. I've, I love my dad. My dad is like one of those people that like, even as a child would like literally argue with me. And I'm like, I, you're cool to have like your opinion and you believe that. But like, I don't think that everything adds up. Right, right, right. Like right, to right. me, like. I don't think that it, like, all plays out and makes sense to me. Like, right. and that's why I go back to that very first note, like, that mm-hmm. that fan wrote is, was like, make these inconsistencies make sense. Make it make sense. Make it make sense. Like, that's when people will get over it. Right. Because Connect the dots for me, and then we can have the conversation. That was, like, one of the things that they were talking about, especially when it's celebrities, when it's someone who's of, like... Stature. They, people want to know everything about yeah, it. for sure. For sure. And that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, I just don't feel like everything perfectly aligns for yeah, me. Right. I get it. I yeah. Get it. I think because I, I'm not, 
I'm always so afraid. I feel like I'm always so afraid to say it out loud because I feel like I'm going to get so much hate. I'm not a fan of Nirvana. I was never a Kurt Cobain fan. Like it was never anything oh, I love. that it was never anything that personally affected me, and I like didn't. Yeah, it didn't. F- but I mean, you I'm also have to remember. Like, I can understand the sadness of fans. About like, believe me, as a girl who cried for days after Michael Jackson died, I get it. Yeah, I get it. But like, I think because I was always so like disconnected from it. I don't understand the continual the continual fervor of it all. Yeah. For me, I mean, I was only four when this happened. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I didn't really get into it until, like, the early 2000s where I'm like... Right. When I started looking into this, I was just like, oh, that, that seems weird. Like, mm-hmm. that just doesn't seem... Yeah. It doesn't seem right. Right. Um, so, he had already spoken to R.E.M.'s Michael Stripe about working together. I love Michael Stipe. Yeah. Michael Stipe. Sorry. I love Michael Stipe. Um, about working together and seemed some disenchanted by his grunge, uh, persona. Dave Grohl confirmed years later that the group was taking a break. Um, sorry. Dave Grohl confirmed years later that the group was breaking up in an appearance he had made on the Howard Stern program. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So, Prince. Tom Grant. Oh my um, God! You said Prince, like P R I N T. Oh, you heard like Prince? Prince. I'm like, what does Prince have to do with this? What did he? Have Prince to say? did it all. I got. No, I got so excited that we we're going to talk about Prince for a little Prince. bit. Prince, 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 Prince. You know, Nikki can't speak. <laughs> right? No, no, no. You said it correctly. Oh. I just heard what I wanted to oh, hear. No. I was like, "Ooh, we're going to get some purple I, rain I, in here." I stumble over my own words, and then when I hear it, I'm like, "Oh, no, it's okay." <laughs> I thought we were going to talk about Purple Rain, and I got excited. <laughs> so, Prince. Tom Grant was also concerned that the gun shells in the note all had no discernible fingerprints. The gun was not checked for prints by authorities until May 6th. That's fucking weird. 1994, a full month later. That's fucking weird. Isn't it weird? That's fucking weird. Yeah. It's just a little... It's a little fucking weird. It's a little off. Yeah. Um. So, El Deuce. Have you heard about El Deuce? No. Okay. There was even a man named Eldon Hoke, nicknamed El Deuce, who came forward and claimed that Courtney Love tried to offer him 50000 to kill Kurt Cobain. Uh. Hoke alleged uh, that Courtney uh, told him, El Deuce, I need a favor of you. My old man's a real asshole. I need you to blow his effing head off. Hoke uh, says that he was told to make the murder look like a suicide. Of course, it's worth noting that Hulk was a shock rocker looking to promote his career. Um, he Hulk's, yeah. yeah, his place in the music scene with his band, The Mentors, put him in the same sphere as Love's band Hole. Um, he passed the lie detector test, though, administered by renowned expert Dr. Edward uh, Giebel, sure. who says there was no doubt that he was telling the truth. Yeah, but. But detector test. But listen to this. Okay. But eerily, just days after being interviewed about Cobain in April 1997, he was found dead after being ran over by a train in Riverside, California. Ooh, very like Epstein. Isn't that weird? Yes. Did El Deuce kill El himself? Deuce. El Deuce. Yeah. Um, so this is one of the other things that I found very odd. So there were four rolls of film, which police had taken at the time of uh, Kurt's death. Okay. That had been left undeveloped. And had sat in evidence because they said that they did not develop suicide photos. Isn't that odd? Uh, Okay. 
So basically what they're saying is if we had any indication that this was a possible murder scene, we would have developed the film. But because we closed the case stating that it was a suicide, we're not developing it because of privacy reasons. It was closed in the same day. Okay. Okay. Like fish, his fishy, case. Fishy. fishy his fishy, case fishy. was closed within the same day. Fishy, fishy, fishy. Yeah. Fishy, fishy. Um, I so will, I will admit that that's fishy, fishy, fishy. Well, and I don't know what the procedures are right. when it comes to that. It's But the way that, like, Tom uh, Tom Grant talked about it was he said, even if you walk into a suicide, you still have to treat everything like, like it is. Like a crime scene. Yeah. Right. Well, if we have anybody who's listening who's, like, some yes. sort of crime scene <gasps> processor... Yeah, and I know Nikki has a friend who is a crime scene investigator. We're going to have to look that up because I'm curious. Like, I'm actually going to like very curious. reach out to her. We need to, we're going to get some expert um, advice on this. Cause Cause I just, I'm just curious on how I that would too, actually work I feel in like real it's, life. It's just so odd that yeah. like it just... Like I said, I mean, I guess so abstractly my in my empathetic brain, I can understand why you don't because it's protecting the privacy of the person who committed suicide. But again, the fact that the case was closed so quickly, there's a lot of fishy, fishy other stuff that's going on around it. I get that it's adding to the other questions that exist. So. I get it. Uh, Tom, when Tom Grant had went to Seattle, they had went to um, Kurt's house. Mm-hmm. And they had looked and, and but it was, the night that they went, it was very rainy. It was very dark. He didn't realize that a greenhouse was there. Mm. And he was there with... um. Uh, my God, El Deuce. Not El Deuce. No. Okay. Courtney. No. Dave Grohl. No. I w- Michael Stipe. No. Sorry. The, the, the- Dylan. Okay. Dylan. Dylan. So okay. Uh, so the night before Kurt's body was discovered, okay, they had went to his house to look for Kurt. Right. Right, because she, he was hired to find him. Correct. Yeah. So. One of the major things was they had went to the house. They had also found like a like a fake note there okay. that basically was talking about like Kurt was an asshole for like, you know, it was just like this whole thing. Okay. I don't have this written out, but but there, it happened, but it happened. Okay. But he was talking about the fact that um he didn't see the greenhouse because it was dark. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah, a yeah. lot of trees and stuff. It's yeah, actually yeah. like I don't know if the greenhouse they tore it down after it. The house is still there. The house is actually very expensive. Mm-hmm. But it's and it's beautiful. I have a thing for houses. But he was talking about the next day when he went, when Kurt had, um, when it was basically ruled as a suicide, because they were there. They were looking for him. Right, right, right. The cops didn't want to talk to him. And he just felt like that was kind of odd because he's like, he's like, if someone came to me while I was investigating a crime scene and said, right. I was here the night before and you just didn't. Right. Right, so he right. just, he felt like that was very odd to Lots him. Lots of fishy fishies. There's a lot of just things that just don't. Lots of fishy fishies. So, original reports stated that Kurt was barricaded in the small green uh, greenhouse room with a stool wedged up against the door. Hmm. So, in truth, a simple push button lock was all that sealed the room. Hmm. Like on a bedroom door push button, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, like, I actually do that when I leave the house in the morning if, like, my boyfriend's not out because I'm, like, too lazy to try and get my keys out. Yeah. So I'll just turn the bottom lock and then I'll, like, leave because it locks the door. Right. And then he'll just deadbolt it. Right. 
So it says, in truth, the simple push lock button um, was all that sealed the room. Someone potentially could have simply pushed the button and closed the door behind them as they left. Yeah. The stool that was supposedly wedged up against the door was actually in front of another set of doors. Understood. So it wasn't even the door that they were coming in. It was it was the doors Correct. that led out to the balcony. Got it. So they like little just like little inconsistency that that people are just like. Right. I mean, why? 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 <laughs> I mean, why? 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 So, reports said that Cobain left his license out for identification purposes in case uh, disfigurement hid uh, his identity. In reality, the first police officer on scene found Cobain's closed wallet, opened it to remove Kurt's driver's license, and displayed it in order to take a photograph. Hmm. Okay. Right? Okay. So, this is one, like, we both work at financial institutions. This is one that I thought was fucking weird. Okay. One of Kurt's credit cards was missing from his body uh, when his body was discovered. Someone was attempting to use uh, the missing credit card after Kurt died, but the attempt stopped when the body was discovered. Interesting. Isn't that weird? That is weird. Yeah. So. That is weird. That is weird. Because if it was a simple robbery... Right. Like if that person had, let's say it was a person who was at rehab that stole his credit card. Yeah. They're not going to give a flying flip if he killed himself because they they know that they didn't kill him. So they're just trying to use this card. Yeah. Unless it's basically just a matter of, I know they're going to be tracking this stuff. So now they're going to be able to find me and I can get arrested on credit card. Who knows? Yeah. But I, again, it's, I think the problem is all of these things. No, no, no. Seriously. I think the problem is. I know. I just like the way that you said. I think the problem is. All of these things individually would not be fishy. Yes. All of them together is what makes the whole thing fishy. It is. Correct. And that's why, like, when we were talking about, like, there's one, like, one coincidence. You're just kind of like, correct. Correct. But when more and more things just appear, it just kind of. It puts that doubt in people's mind. Yeah, yeah. And that's what, like, even though I want to read this and I want to say, like, maybe he, he killed himself. And that's just what it is. But, like. Right. And it just happened to be all of these weird things happened. But right. it's just, like, it's just it's not. It doesn't. Right. I get it. I doesn't get, I get what doesn't you're saying. It doesn't sit right with me, man. I get it. I get it. Sorry if it sits right with everyone else, but it does not sit right with Nikki. <laughs> so, Motive. Because you're probably wondering, like, what would be the motive? Yeah, 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 yeah. So Love and Cobain had prenuptial agreement. As she seemed initially uh, destined to become the bigger star, when Cobain's light wound up shining more brightly, Love stood to suffer financially if the couple divorced. Did it seem as though she was going to get more famous? Was Hole bigger at first than than Nirvana was? I was four. No, I'm, I guess okay. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm more asking myself. Okay. Well, I mean, I will say, I mean, and this is from a kid who like didn't listen to grunge or any of that type. Of, I only, I owned a whole CD. I did not own any Nirvana. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it tended to, t- to trend more mainstream. Yeah. I don't know. That's my yeah. completely 100% non-expert opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so Grant also theorizes that love also would potentially gain, um, considerable sympathy if Cobain committed suicide rather than divorced her. Yeah. In Grant's mind, this was the motive behind what he labels a murder. Um, and it also is to note that Hole had a CD coming out that week. 
the week that he committed suicide, they had a whole coming out. They had a whole. Coming they had out. a whole coming out. <laughs> they had Ew. a CD. They had a CD coming. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Odd. Mui Mui Interessante. Uh, Tom Grant's account um, has him speaking to Cobain and loves lawyer Rosemary Carroll. Rosemary represented uh, Kurt and Courtney. According to Grant, Cobain was intending to divorce Love, and Carroll urged him to investigate the circumstances of Cobain's death. Carroll also said that, um, that in Love's backpack, she found samples of Love practicing someone's handwriting. This aroused suspicion due to the uh, suicide note Cobain left, seeming to be more about retiring about music than permanently from life. The end of the note seemed to include an addition uh, made at a later point, possibly written by a second person. Mm -hmm. Carol also stated that Love uh, wrote a memo for herself to get arrested, which she indeed did while Grant was searching for her missing husband. So this is the thing... um, and I was listening to Morbid, which is another podcast. They're yeah. amazing. Yeah. They also covered this. But they were talking about the fact that Courtney would write things. So she would, like, almost, like, vision board her her mind. Like, she would, like, put what she right, wanted right, to right, happen right. Okay. out there. It's like the secret. So she wrote it. I don't know what the secret is. Okay. It's, it, if you put oh. it out, like, you manifest the... Yeah, the she was manifesting. Yeah. Um, so... Carol also stated that Love wrote a memo for herself to get arrested, which she indeed did when Grant was searching for her missing husband. Interesting. When Carol realized that Grant was taping the conversation while she expressed doubts over the su- uh, over suicide, she uttered, oh, shit. And then, like, he literally asked her, he was like, do you want me to stop recording? Because she was like, and she added, this is just my theory. Hmm. Like, because, I mean, he had recorded, he recorded everything from right. from the beginning of this. Up until, like, you know. Yeah. Because he just, he didn't feel, well, and I don't know if private investigators just record everything, but, like, he just didn't feel right about it. Well, and I think a lot of the reason, I mean, and again, <laughs> not a private my investigator, theory. so this is my theory. I would assume that lots you would Lots of theories record, tonight. Correct. And lots of theories. It's called Theory Central. A bed crime theories. Um, That's a good one, right? Thanks. Um, that is uh, tonight's very special episode. Trademarked, <laughs> yes. trademarked. Exactly. Don't exactly. steal it. Correct. Bed crime theories. Um, my assumption would be, I would assume that if you were a uh, private investigator, in order to turn evidence over to proper authorities, in order to like get somebody arrested, oh or blah, yes, blah, blah, you would need to have proof that somebody said something. So because yes. you're not like a state official. So that would be my yeah. assumption as to why everything is recorded. Yeah. Because he, like, he even asked I'm her. I'm going to pretend that I'm right because that's a really yes. good theory. Yeah. But she added, this is just my theory before hanging up. She has not commented publicly on these matters. Hmm. So Love was charged with uh, drug possession and for having a doctor's prescription pad in her hotel room. She was cleared, but it seems strange that she would leave a memo seemingly foretelling of the arrest regarding this key moment in time. Hmm. Accounts have her calling in her own overdose over the phone in her hotel room. Another possible scenario for Love practicing handwriting was to possibly forge uh, prescriptions, and later her doctor covered for her, saying he merely forgot his pad in the hotel room. So she had, like, a theory alibi as to why she was practicing handwriting. Yeah. Correct. So the conspiracy theories, while while tantalizing, don't... Tantalizing. Tantalizing. 
don't change the fact that Kurt Cobain is dead either by his own hand or someone else's. At the very least, his long-standing struggles with depression and drug use, as well as an intimate suicide note left nearby, make a pretty convincing case for suicide. Mm -hmm. So final ceremony was arranged by Cobain uh, for Cobain by his mother on May 31st, 1999, and was attended by both Love and Tracy uh, Mardiner. Mardiner? Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a Buddhist monk chanted, daughter Frances Bean scattered Cobain's ash, ashes into McLean Creek in Olympia, the city where he found his true artistic muse. And that is the uh, the death of Kirk Cobain. And honestly, there were so many other theories and things. Yeah. And th- there's just a lot of things that don't add up to me. Yeah. Also, this morning, while I was laying in bed... I started like, man, I just you, like fell down the rabbit hole hard, huh? Uh, yeah, and I mean, I kind of keep, I just want to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking up Kurt's daughter because I was wondering what her relationship with her mother is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she, she, I mean, they're, I mean, her mother's very dysfunctional, and she does, you know, admit that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like she was saying, how she's very close with, um, she was actually on RuPaul's. Podcast, yeah, no, oh, no, okay. on his on his podcast, I guess, Interesting. and that's where he she had talked, she had discussed it. Um, I haven't listened to it yet. I need to listen mm-hmm. to it. But um, one of the things that I I discovered today was she had gotten married. She got married mm. very young. Um, but she's very she's very close with Kurt's mom because I think that that's who she ended up staying with was for the majority of her mm-hmm. her young life. Well, and you figure since Courtney like blew up because you figure that's when she became an actress and blah, blah blah she was always like whatever so it would make sense that she would need to be someplace stable yeah mm-hmm. and that was yeah it for her but i was also reading this article today because this is currently happening this was like i think the article was from hi sweetie and your puppers um it was from i think a month or two ago it wasn't that long ago mm-hmm. but her husband i mean i believe that they're now in the middle of a divorce had the guitar that he had played on the MTV Unplugged. Unplugged, yeah. And he auctioned it. And Courtney was basically, uh, lo- Courtney is basically suing him because mm-hmm. she's saying that was not a gift to you. Like, right. and it's just, it's crazy. Interesting. Yeah, but you know how much that damn co- guitar sold for? I can't even for? imagine how much. Honestly, to record, it's the most expensive uh, guitar that's that's resold. Six point one million. Dang. Six point one million. Well, I think million. because not only is Kurt gone, yeah, he in his own right is an icon. Plus, yeah. the MTV Unplugged of Nirvana is like iconic. I mean, that's like. Well, it's so funny because they said that it was terrible when they were practicing. Yeah. So they thought it was going to be like awful, awful, and it ended up being like it's probably one of the most successful of all of the MTV Unplugged. Uh-huh. Probably Nirvana's and Mariah Carey's. Cause I, and yeah. I can tell you from, like, my childhood, those are the only two that I remember. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's very, it just, it seems very interesting because a lot of the things that he's, I, I mean, I could fall down that rabbit hole, too, because there's a lot of things yeah. that are being said there, too. Interesting. So. Wow. But his daughter is carrying on his uh, legacy. Yeah, I mean, her, she's, she's basically working towards, like, um, she's advocating for mental health. Good. So, she's, she's awesome. We'd love to hear it. 
Yeah. So well, that is my story. Thank you. Thank you so much for your story. Great job. Sorry if you don't agree. It's okay. <laughs> well, and I gotta tell you, the two of us in this room don't agree. Nikki is of the mind of there being something bigger at play. Mm-hmm. I am of the mind that Kirk Cobain did, in fact, kill himself. I am uh, not denying the fact that there's definitely some, like, fishy shit happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people are like, we don't believe in coincidences, blah, blah, blah. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's the whole thing is, like, I've just always have been incredibly convinced that he did kill himself. And like I said, actually, the suicide note, Convince me further. And I know that that seems to be like a dividing factor. I actually am more, I'm further convinced after hearing the suicide note. So I don't know. It's, I mean, again, it's one of those like choose your own adventure type of things. I think everybody has their own theory. (laughs) I really don't know if we'll ever know the truth. No. You know, and I think that that honest, and I have to say of all of it, that's the saddest part. I don't think we'll ever really, truly ever really know, Mm -mm. which sucks. I think that sucks. And that's what like, nobody deserves that. I feel like that, that haunts Tom Grant and I feel like that that's why he because well, yeah. people reach out to him he said daily he's like there's not a day that doesn't go by that like I don't his his name doesn't cross my mind like 300 right, right, right. times well, I get that it's yeah. just it's gonna be like one of those things that like I feel like he's gonna be pushing for until he passes away yeah and I get that I do crazy man oh man oh man well guys that's it for us that's another episode in the can for the bed crime stories this is this week bed bed crime theories so um thank you guys so much for listening to us we do appreciate all of your support and love and um comfort mm-hmm. <laughs> through these difficult times um so find us on social media oh you know what i didn't do last week so i'm gonna do it this week because i realized i didn't do it like subscribe rate review tell a friend i didn't tell anybody to do that last tell week your so dog. hopefully you did yeah tell your dog tell your mama Tell your brother, tell your sister and your friend. I tell anyone that I can comprehend. Janet Jackson. So tell a friend, <laughs> like, reviews, rate, subscribe. Find us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, at Bed Crime Stories. You can email us just to say, hey, you can email us, um, yeah, email us story suggestions, send us an Instagram DM with story suggestions or just to say, hey, um, and that is the email address is bedcrimestoriespod at gmail.com. Uh-huh. Um, I think that's all I usually say. I think I checked all the boxes. Be kind to one another, y'all. Empathy is free, so be nice to people. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm going to say it. As a person who's not even a Kurt Cobain fan, live a little bit more like Kurt Cobain. Maybe sans the drug use. Yeah, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. They're bad for you, kids. Don't do drugs. Um, but you know what? The, you know, the way that he lived his life, loving other people and being empathetic towards others and uh, all that stuff. I think we could all use that a little bit more in our lives. So mm-hmm. be like Kurt Cobain. But then also just say no. Um, all right. So <laughs> I, again, I've gone off the rails. I think that's a common theme on these outros. Um, rate, review, subscribe, social media, email, be kind to one another, be empathetic, live like Kurt Cobain, just say no. We love you. We'll see you next week. But until then, sweet, sweet dreams. dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Our theme song is the song Industrial Music Box by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. 
creativecommons.org backslash licenses backslash buy backslash 3.0.